Welcome to All the Things with Monique Dusson from the Center for Biblical Unity and theology mom, Krista Bontrager. And now, here's Krista and Monique. Yay! Hello and welcome to All the Things. This is the show where we discuss all the things related to God, the Bible, and real life. I'm Krista Bontrager, also known as Theology Mom, and my best friend and compadre in ministry is not here tonight. She couldn't be with us. Monique Dusan, the one and only co-founder and president of the Center for Biblical Unity. I'm missing her voice tonight, but we are moving forward. The show must go on, and I want to invite you to support the show This is the audience participation part of the broadcast. Make sure to like the show, comment on the show, and share the show. These things are very important. I know we say them every time, but they are important. And make sure that you're subscribed and hit that notifications bell because really subscribing to the channel, make sure that you get more of the content of what you're already enjoying right now. And you will get notified whenever we go live or post new content. Now, this show is brought to you by the Center for Biblical Unity, the Theology Mom podcast, and Family 210 Clothing. And we hope that you will go check out our designs. Here's one of my favorites, uh, Truth Knows No Color. That's a great one. And I hope that you'll check out our other designs. If you want to get your Center for Biblical Unity merch, that is the place to do it. Okay, so we've been going into the archives of all the things. We've been going back and pulling out some of those gems that uh, many of you haven't seen. Most of you found us in about June, July, August of 2020. But we had actually been doing the show for over a year prior to that. So tonight is we're going back to show number eight, single digits. And we're going to be hearing from my friend, Pastor Ramin Parsa, who is a former Muslim. And this interview was all the way back in the spring of 2019. It's a wonderful interview where we had... Pastor Parsa, uh, share a little bit of his testimony in his dramatic conversion experience, but also he answered some very frequent questions that Muslims have about the Christian faith. This is going to be a great interview uh, to help empower you to understand uh, your Muslim, maybe your Muslim family members, your neighbors, people that um, your kids play soccer with. This is going to be a great opportunity to learn more about their faith and how to build a bridge with them with the hope that you'll be able to share the hope of the real Jesus Christ with them. I know you're going to enjoy this conversation with our friend, Pastor Ramin Parsa. Let's take a look. Ramin is the author of the book, Ashes to Glory, and you can get that on his website, uh, at RaminParsa.org. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Very good. And I want to make sure everyone knows about that. And that book is a little bit about your journey to Christianity. Is that right? Yes, it's my uh, story. It's the story of Persia uh, and uh, how it became Iran and also 
it uh, mentions my uh, my upbringing and how I came to know the Lord. Very good. Well, we're going to hear a little bit about that tonight. Um, I want to kind of set the table here and tell us a little bit about your life before you came to faith in Christianity. Help us understand, because our friend Juwad has asked us a lot of questions about Jesus, and I'm wondering what Muslims believe about Jesus. I, I think that... I, that they respect him, but I'm not sure I know what they actually believe about him. Right. Uh, well, my greetings to Javad, and uh, if he's listening to me, uh, I say hello to him. Uh, yes, I was born and raised a Muslim, and um, I was, uh, from the very young age, I was told that uh, Allah is God, and uh, Muhammad is his prophet, and I have to basically obey the commandments and do the Sharia law and the things that Islam requires in order for me to uh, go to heaven. So if I obey the commandments and do the things that Allah commands me uh, through the prayers that I did, fastings and uh, the, uh, the rituals that I had to obey in order to earn uh, Allah's acceptance and approval to go to heaven. So uh, at a very young age, I began to fast and pray and really seek um, Allah because I was told he's the, he's the only God. He's the only true God. And the, the thing is that we didn't have any other options. It's not like in America that you have the freedom to go and, you know, read the Bible or read, you know, go to a temple or go to a synagogue or go to a church. Uh, everything was predominantly Islam when I was growing up. And, uh, and Allah was the dominant, uh, basically, faith. The Islam was the dominant faith over the nation. And uh, so we grew up that way. And um, at age 16, after some experiences, some stuff that happened, uh, that's when I began to question Islam. And I did a deep study and... Um, and I found the things in the Quran and in the Hadith and in the Islamic teachings that I could not accept that they are from God and uh, that God, the creator of the heaven and earth, could be, could be like that. So with all due respect, uh, we love Muslim people and I have uh, relatives. I have aunts and uncles and, and uh, uh, cousins who are Muslims and um, I'm reaching out to them as well. So uh, the message of the gospel is the love of God toward humanity in his son, Jesus. So Very uh, good. that's my endeavor, yeah. Now, would you say that Muslims, they obviously don't believe that Jesus is the son of God, like Christians say, would they say that he's a prophet? That's, that's true. That's true. Uh, in Islam, Islamic theology, they believe that God could not be a father and has no son. And uh, in fact, to say that Jesus is the son of God, according to Islam, is blasphemy. It's called shirk or mushrik. Mushrik is a person who associates someone with God. So... Uh, you know, in, when I grew up as a Muslim, Allah was so distant and so hard to please. And, um, but he was very present for punishing. Every time we made a mistake, we were so afraid that we were going to be punished. And, uh, but he was distant in, in, in helping. And we had a hard time uh, basically connecting with him. And, and, and we were not sure if he's happy with us or if he's not, if he's accepting us, if we are okay in his sight or not. But the thing is that in Islamic theology, yeah, they look at Jesus as a prophet. Uh, now, According to the Bible, Jesus was a prophet. That was his, uh, his, his office, his call. Jesus was an apostle. He was a prophet. He was an evangelist. He was a pastor. He was a teacher. Uh, all the fivefold ministries that God has given to the church, Jesus had them. But his character, his personality, his person was God. So people uh, you know, in Islamic theology, they mix the two. They think, okay, if Jesus was a prophet, he could not be the son of God. Uh, for instance, if you say this person is an engineer, so therefore, he's not a human. Or if he's a human, he's not a, he could not be an engineer or a doctor. The same way in, in, uh, in the Bible, 
introduces Jesus as actually a prophet too, but uh, not, uh, not that he is only a prophet, but he is God who came in the human flesh to exhibit the character of God and the, uh, the identity of God in the human uh, uh, character. That's why we believe in Jesus as the son of God. And in fact, the word son, when we say that he's a son of God, because that was hard to say or believe. In fact, when I became a Christian, uh, when I heard the gospel for the first time, I rejected the gospel. I could not accept that God could have a son. And of course, I was thinking biologically that how could this uh, amazing, powerful God uh, have a son? I mean, how could he produce a son? I mean, did he marry a woman? And, and then that's uh, how he... Uh, how he got a son. But then in, in Greek, in the Bible, the son is not referring to biological aspect, but it's referring to a person who could fully express his father's character. Um, you know, we have different words for son and for a child in the Bible in Greek. The word son is heos, and heos means a person who is able to uh, reveal the character of his father. Like when I say, for example, if this person is my son, that means he is like me. Uh, his thinking, his character, his behavior is just like me. So when we say Jesus is the son of God, we're referring to his character, just being like God. That's why Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the father. And, um, and also John 1, 18, the Bible says that, and no man at any time has seen God, but his only begotten son who was in his bosom, he revealed him or he unveiled him. Uh, again, in Hebrews chapter one, say the same thing, that he's the express image of his person uh, and, and the glory of his character. So Jesus came to show us what God looks like, and not in a physical appearance, not in physically how God looks like, but in behavior, in character, in, in the way that Jesus lived and the, Jesus, the way he spoke, the things he did, and to show that God is a merciful and gracious God who, uh, who is willing to save and not to, not to perish. That's, that's a very helpful answer, and I've never heard it explained quite that way. Yeah. So that was very helpful. And our friend Juad uh, was very excited that we're doing this topic tonight. And he kind of put a question in the chat box, uh, very similar to what you've been talking about here, um, that it says in the book of Numbers, it says, God is not a man. And according to this verse, Jesus cannot be God. So he's confused. And Juad, I want to, um, again, commend you on your very fine question and let Pastor Ramin, know that you're a very sincere seeker. You're not a troublemaker. You're, you're really trying to understand these things. And so I don't know, if, um, just, just kind of um, letting you know, you know, that the, these are the very questions that Juwad is, is definitely wrestling with at this point. Right, right. Yeah, that's, that's normal. A lot of Muslims have a hard time uh, believing that. And that's true. The Bible says uh, we believe the same thing. We don't believe that uh, man is God. We believe God became man. Two different things because if you believe that man is God, yes, of course, that's blasphemy. But we don't believe that man is God, we believe that God became a man or God came in the human flesh. Because, see, when we talk about a man, a human being, it consists of three parts spirit, soul, and body. Uh, so, Jesus, uh, he was a spirit with God and he was equal to God, he was God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was, was God. And then the Word became flesh. Basically, this spiritual being who was God, he came into the human flesh, and we know him as the Son of God, uh, and his name is Jesus. So uh, it's two different things to say that man is God. Uh, but God, uh, and in the book of Numbers, when he's referring to that God is not a man, uh, is referring that God is not like a man who breaks his promise. 
so in the context, he's talking about when uh, basically Balaam is, uh, is um, going and uh, Balak brought him to curse Israel. And then he saw the glory of Israel. And then uh, when he's saying that God has spoken, will he not do it? And he's not like a man. Uh, he's not like a man to break his word and nor the son of man to repent. So he's saying that he's not a man who changes his word. So in the context, if you read it, he's not talking about uh, basically that God, you know, God could not become a man. He's saying that God is not like a human being who always breaks his word and his promises. Uh, but God always keeps his promise. That, that is really helpful. Um, yeah, go ahead. Pastor Ramin, yes, I'm the- you're quoting a lot of scripture, which I love, and I love that you're able to back up the thoughts with the word and in a way that it that makes sense. But my question is, what do Muslims think about the Bible and how do you, um, I guess, reconcile any kind of conflict that, that Muslims may have with the scriptures? Uh, yeah, unfortunately, you know, uh, when I grew up as a Muslim, we were told that uh, the scripture, the, the Torah and the, the gospel, uh, they have been changed and distorted. Basically, we were told that they are not original and they have been changed and, and they have been distorted. So that's how we grew up. Uh, in fact, we were told that uh, that uh, people changed the gospel because uh, the, the gospel is talking about Muhammad. And they, they told us that basically Jesus um, prophesied the coming of Muhammad, but the, then Christians changed it. And that's not true because uh, the way that God gave the Bible uh, to, uh, to us, to the people, to Israel, uh, he didn't give the whole Bible to one person because God is wise. So he didn't give the whole Bible to one person so he could be accused of exaggeration or, or lying or, or just you know, writing his own things. So God gave portion by portion throughout centuries to different prophets, to different people, and, and even those people who wrote those portions of the Bible, they didn't know that their writings are going to become a part of the Bible. Uh, but later on, when we get, and then every time God gave a revelation or a, or a writing through a prophet, every uh, Israeli had a copy of it. So it, they would write it and they would copy it. And the Jews were very strict in copying the exact copy, exact same thing that originally was given. In fact, every time they referred to the name God or Yahweh, they had to change their pen they, they, would, they would use a new pen and they would never use that pen again. That's how strict and how sensitive they were towards scriptures. So, uh, and then God gave different portions of the scripture to different people to add different, uh, in, in the 1600s span of history. And uh, so, uh, for example, when God gave the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, uh, every Jew had a copy. And then when the book of Joshua was written, and then Judges, and then Ruth, and then First uh, and Second Samuel, and when his books were written, everybody had a copy of those, those writings. So uh, until the, the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi was written, and then, of course, the Gospels. But when this was done, every Jewish person had a copy of all the books of the Bible. So in order for someone to change it, he had to go gather all these manuscripts, and come and change it, which is impossible. In fact, we have early, uh, 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 very old manuscripts, almost uh, 500,000 manuscripts that refers to uh, the, uh, the accuracy of the Bible. And there's no difference. The Dead Sea Scrolls ever found that they are the same. And plus, God is able to protect his word. If God could not protect the Bible and, and the Torah, the, the, the Gospels, then uh, what is, as a Muslim, what is the guarantee could protect the Quran? I can say the same thing, that the Quran is changed. If, if, if I was a Muslim, if you were a Muslim and you believe that Quran is from Allah and from God, then I can say that 
the Quran is changed. But what is the evidence? And um, I don't believe Quran uh, basically is the word of God, but I believe the Bible is the word of God. And God protects. In fact, in the book of Psalms, it says he preserves his word. He protects his word. Uh, so it's impossible for a man to change the, the Bible. I mean, I can change my own Bible, but what I would do with your Bible, with all the millions of Bibles, billions of Bibles around the world. And the same thing in the ancient times, when everybody had a copy, nobody could change the Bible. Very good. I'm wondering, you kind of give us some hints about your journey to faith. And once again, I want to let everyone know about your book um, that contains the longer version of your story called Ashes to Glory, From Ashes to Glory. Um, maybe you can just give us a couple of snapshots about how you transitioned out of Islam and came to believing in Jesus as your savior more than a prophet uh, as your savior in becoming a Christian? Uh, yes. Well, uh, after I, I began to research it and read the Quran and the Hadith, and I saw the things that I could not accept, that these are from the living God. And uh, then gradually my faith in Islam began to crumble. But that wasn't a good news because um, I really invested my life upon Islam. I mean, my whole family used to go to the mosque and pray. Uh, would get up early in the morning and pray and then uh, fast during Ramadan and, and go and pray and, and uh, trying to please Allah to go to heaven. My mom was a very devout Muslim. My whole family, my whole siblings, uh, very devout Muslims. So what happened uh, at age 16 when I began to see the things that I was uh, looking for and, and searching, and I was very genuine in my, in my uh, search and I was trying to find the truth. So, um, but more I studied, more I, my, more I studied and researched, I, more I found the reason not to believe in Islam. And, uh, but again, that wasn't a good news because then I began to say, okay, if Allah is not God and Muhammad is not his prophet, then who is God? Then what am I doing here? Um, you know, if there is a God, then who is he? If there is no God, then what am I doing here? Who made me? What is the purpose of this life? And these were the questions that I could not simply ignore. And um, I was just... Uh, I mean, nothing else really mattered in my life at that point. Um, and, and shortly after that, I had a bad experience and then um, with Islamic Sharia law. And then what happened was after that, my father passed away. So pain after pain caused me to really see the vanity of life, that how vain life is. I mean, how short life is. I saw my dad, um, you know, when I was growing up, I saw him working and, and the things he went through, the things he did, and then he died. And I, and I saw the vanity of life in front of my eyes, that this man lived his life and then he finished and he died. So where is he now? And, uh, and I just, you know, no education, no plan for future, no thing, none of those things could really make me happy. And I began to isolate myself and, and have these deep questions about the purpose and the meaning of life. And um, so gradually I was really getting depressed and more depressed and more uh, hopeless in life and had no uh, plans for life, had no future, had no, no hope uh, and no reason to live anymore. And I really became suicidal and depressed. So at age uh, 19, I was just, as I was crying out to God, God, if you're real, show yourself to me. And I, I said that with all my heart. I was crying out to God, who are you? And, um, and if you're real, because when I became suicidal, I was afraid to commit suicide because I, I didn't know if I die where I would go. Uh, and the other, on the other hand, I didn't want to live in this world full of injustice and oppression and war and crimes and the things that I was experiencing and seeing and, and seeing the, 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 the meaningless of life. So 
Uh, and, uh, you know, one day through satellite, I heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and in Iran, you know, having a satellite dish is illegal uh, to have. But people buying in the black markets and they watch them secretly. So my brother had a satellite dish. And I came across this channel. I was flipping through this channel out of desperation. And I came uh, across this channel. And this guy was talking about Jesus. Uh, that Jesus is the son of God. He died for me on the cross. And he rose from the dead. And if I believe in him, I'll be saved. And again, just like Jawad, they had the same reaction, same questions. You know, uh, how could God be, uh, you know, how could God have a son? I mean, I couldn't accept that. So I rejected the whole premise of, of Christianity and uh, Christ being the son of God. So I rejected the whole thing. And again, I was still broken and hopeless and depressed. And one week later, I was very suicidal, very depressed. And I heard the gospel again. And I came across the same channel. And I heard the gospel that Jesus is the son of God. He loves me and he died for me on the cross. He was buried and he rose from the dead. And if I put my faith and trust in him, I'll be saved. Now, that was too good to be true. Imagine as a Muslim, I was trying to earn uh, forgiveness and salvation through my own words, through my prayers and fasting and through things. You know, there are 1.6 billion Muslims in the world. Not even one is sure that if they die, if he or she dies, goes to heaven. Not even one. You can ask any Muslim, if you die today, where would you go? Uh, they would say, well, inshallah, I don't know. Maybe Allah will, if Allah wants. Um, but what if you don't? That's why um, there's no assurance of salvation in Islam. So what happened was, uh, when I heard that if I just put my faith and trust in Jesus, I'll be saved, that was like, too good to be true. Uh, so uh, that day I had nothing to lose. I was very depressed, very uh, desperate, very hopeless, and I opened my heart and I very genuinely talked to Jesus. And I said, Jesus, I don't know you. I was told you're a prophet as a Muslim. And now I hear you're the son of God. You died for me on the cross and you rose from the dead. I don't know if it's truth or not. Uh, but if it's truth, I ask you to come into my heart. And I, and I say this very, um, very genuinely. I said, I don't want to be robbed by religion again. And I said, come into my heart if you're real. I accept you. I believe in you. And I was praying this prayer of salvation to accept Christ in my heart. And as I was doing it, a, a heat went through my left hand. A warmth went through my left hand. It went through all my body. And I was shaking and trembling. And I felt somebody put his hand into my heart and yanked out all that hatred and anger and depression and bitterness. And I felt a love that I never felt before, but I always wanted. I felt this acceptance. I felt this holy presence in my room that I never felt before. I felt a joy uh, indescribable. I felt this peace um, that was uh, surpassing my understanding. And, from, and I was jumping up and down and praising God. Imagine I was a depressed, broken person. I couldn't eat before that. I couldn't sleep. Uh, I was depressed, isolated, sad. And in that moment, I felt a love that I never felt before. So from that day on, my life completely changed. It's been 14 years. And throughout these 14 years, I've, I've seen thousands of other signs and reasons to believe. I've seen thousands of other, uh, basically, signs to believe. I've seen miracles, signs, wonders. I've seen God's hands in my life. So it's not just a one-time experience. In past 14 years, I've seen so, so many miracles. And not only that, I've seen the scripture. As I studied scripture, I saw the, uh, my own history. Did you know I learned my own history in the Bible when I saw the Persians, the Persian kings who helped uh, the Jewish nation, who helped Israel, uh, King Cyrus and Darius and Xerxes and Artaxerxes. These are the kings who actually supported Israel. 
and they had a role in biblical events. And, uh, and my eyes are being opened every day. And more and more, I'm seeing the truth of the gospel. And I'm not sorry uh, for a second for being a Christian and for knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He changed my life, and I love him with all my heart. And I believe he's a Savior, the only way to heaven, the only Savior of humanity is Jesus, the Son of the living God. Amen. That is a <laughs> good word. Thank you very Amen. much for your testimony. That's very encouraging and, and inspiring. Um, our pleasure. friend Juwad writes in and he said, um, I would like to thank Pastor Ramin for his honesty. And I just, yeah, echo that. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for thank you. the bold stand that you are for others, for Muslims, for those who are not Muslims, just the, the truth of your testimony. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. A couple of weeks ago, um, we got talking, or Juwad posed a question actually on crucifixion and human sacrifice. And Juwad, if you, I mean, you're still there. I know you just wrote in. Um, you can correct me if I speak under correction on your question. But the question was along the lines of why did Jesus need to be crucified? Isn't that a form of human sacrifice, which the Old Testament condemns? Pastor, I mean, what would you say to that question in response to Juwad? Uh, well, uh, no, the, the death of Jesus was completely different than human sacrifice. Human sacrifice was actually done by pagan uh, worshipers, the people who had uh, false gods, and they offered their own children, uh, again, as a sacrifice, as a way to earn, uh, earn the, the favor of their gods. In, in the Christian, in the gospel, uh, basically, God is revealing his wrath, that God made all of us in his own image. We betrayed him. We committed high treason, and, and we began to oppress each other, killing each other, and stealing from each other, lying to each other. And we began to do crimes and bad things. So God, as a just judge, you know, the same way that God is a loving father, he also, one of his uh, basically uh, uh, traits of his character is that he's a just judge. So in his... Uh, judgment he has to judge us and and there's a wrath there's an anger justice the anger of righteousness and justice that is stored up for us i was a sinner i was worshiping you know uh, a, a wrong a wrong god and i was obeying and doing things that were not right and now i know that they were not right but then what happens is that uh god has to unleash his wrath upon me but jesus his, his son he was willing to come and take my place and take that wrath for me. Imagine, you know, I heard the story of a, uh, um, a highway trooper um, that he that is a highway uh, patrol. Um, he was on the side of highway, and the car comes and passed by this by his car, and then he starts, you know, very fast, and he starts chasing the car down and pull the car pulls the car over, and then uh, he goes to the car and it's his own son. So imagine as a police officer, as a highway patrol. So he has to uh, basically implement justice. He has to enforce justice. And if he wants to do that, he has to give a ticket to his own son. Now, what he would do? If he doesn't, then he is not enforcing justice. He's, he's uh, discriminating. He is basically uh, playing partiality. So what he did, he wrote the ticket, but he paid for it himself. And that's exactly what God did. So God came in the human flesh and took the judgment that we deserve. And thus he paid for our sins. And in the eyes of justice, this price was paid. So it's not a human sacrifice. It's that Jesus took the burden. Isaiah 53 describes it very vividly. It says that, you know, 
And he himself took our infirmities, bore our sicknesses, by his stripes we were healed. That God laid on him the iniquity of us all. And uh, we all, like sheep, had gone our own way. But the, it pleased the Lord to put our burden on him. And, and Jesus paid for our sins on the cross with his own blood. Uh, because the Bible says without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. In the book of uh, Leviticus, in, the, in Exodus, we see that the Bible says a life for a life. When, when man sins, the penalty of sin is death. So Jesus took that death for us. And, uh, and it wasn't uh, anything like the human sacrifice in the Old Testament that people did because they were doing it to the pagan, uh, pagan gods for their own benefits, for their own ways. And um, Jesus came and willingly and voluntarily led his own life uh, to take the wrath, to basically, so justice could be served. And that's it. It, it, was, it was a sacrifice. It was a selfless sacrifice with Jesus. Did. I heard uh, in one of the um, French Revolution that there was a man who was arrested, that he was uh, one of the revolutionaries who was arrested, and he was about to be executed. So his father comes to see him for the last time. And as he came to the, to the prison to see his son, and as they call his name, he was sleeping, so he could not hear. And it was the same time that they wanted to execute him. But his father went on, basically his father took his place and went and died for him. And they executed the father, not knowing that he's not the person, he's his father. But he told his friend, tell my son that I died for him. And, and based upon the law in France, they couldn't kill both of them because one person paid the price and they could not punish two people for, for one crime and that one person committed. So that father died for his son. That's exactly what Jesus did. It, was a, it wasn't a human sacrifice. It was uh, basically Jesus laying down his life, uh, basically so we could live. And, and that's exactly what Jesus said in the Gospel of John, that there's no greater love than, 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 than to, for one to lay his life down for his friends. So Jesus came and laid his life down. And those human sacrifices, were, they, they were involuntarily, those people who were being killed, those babies who were being sacrificed, uh, it was against their will to do that. It was against their will to be killed and to be sacrificed. And usually they would offer infants and, and sometimes even adults, but it was against their wish and their will. But Jesus came willingly, laid down his life as a sacrifice and took our place. So Jesus received the wrath and the judgment that we deserve. So we could receive the blessing of life and salvation and that he deserved. So we received what he did. So basically it took our place so we could take his place and we, we could become a child of God through faith in him. Well, that's such a powerful answer. Right now, I want you to hear from our friends at Impact 360. It's time to prepare. Let's get ready for the journey ahead. Life doesn't give us a redo. We don't get to run it back. Along the way, we will face obstacles and challenges, but we are carrying light into the dark places. Our paths and our destinations are different, but our beginning is the same. We must prepare. This is why Impact 360 Institute exists. Get ready to grow, to stand firm, to be who God created you to be, to lead with courage, truth, and love. This experience will transform your life. Be challenged to grow your faith. Learn how to think, not what to think. Build community with those seeking to live like Jesus. Establish spiritual rhythms, discover how to be, and make disciples. And put your faith into action. As you prepare for the journey ahead, 
deepen your understanding of what God has revealed about reality and why Christianity is true. Discover your identity in Christ and your God-given calling and authentic community. Cultivate a servant's heart and live a life of spirit-empowered kingdom influence. Once again, if you have a student ages 18 to 20 who really desires to have a deeper relationship with God, build community with other Christian peers their age, encourage them to go take a look at the Impact 360 Fellows Program. It's a gap year program. And students do a deep dive into the Christian worldview, but they also get to participate in short-term mission projects and develop daily rhythms of like how to have a quiet time and how to pray and all of those things, spiritual formation ideas. If they decide to apply, just have them use the promo code APPLY and the application fee will be waived. And I want to let all of our friends who are watching and listening on the podcast uh, that we're recording, that we'll post later this week, um, I want to let them know how to get connected with your ministry. Uh, you can go visit Ramin's website at RamineParsa.org. That's RamineParsa, all one word, dot O-R-G. But also you have a YouTube channel and many videos there that people can watch or even share uh, with their Muslim friends. Uh, I noticed that some of them are translated into Farsi so that they can be shared um, with others in other that, that don't speak English, but are, are Muslims. I'm wondering, Ramin, uh, in your ministry, as you're ministering to people who are coming out of Islam into Christianity, what suggestions would you give to those Muslims who are wanting to know if Jesus really is the son of God, if he's more than a prophet and that Muhammad is, is not the prophet of Allah, but that you know, Jesus is truly the son of God that has died in their place to take their sins. You know, how, what, what suggestions would you give to those people? Uh, well, my suggestion is that if they are thirsty and genuine, I will promise that they will find the truth. Because see, uh, the Bible says that those who seek, they will find. And, and Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and have a heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And you will find rest for your souls. And, and, and he said to take my yoke, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus is calling all men to come to him. And God is commanding. This is the commandment of God. See, the whole world right now is under only one commandment, to believe in God's Son, which is Jesus. That's God's commandment to entire humanity. First uh, John chapter 3, verse 19 and 20 says that, that this is the commandment, that we all believe in his Son, Jesus Christ. And then a commandment from Jesus, that was the commandment from the Father. And the commandment from Jesus is that we must love one another. So my, my message to the Muslims or any, anyone who's watching this, this uh, episode and they, they are interested and they are hungry, if you are really interested and genuine, you will find the truth. See, uh, if you read the Gospels, there were people who come, came to Jesus, the Pharisees, uh, the scribes, uh, people who were religious and they were, then they, they didn't really come to Jesus for an answer. Handful of them came, but not most of them came just to find a, a fault in him. 
they're trying to find a, a problem in, in Jesus. But some of them, they were, they were really genuine. And they came and they found the truth and Jesus answered them. Uh, but for example, some of them came to just you know, pick on him and to find a fault in him and to trap him. Uh, but in, in the Gospel of John chapter 3, there was a man uh, who was a religious person. And he came to Jesus and he was very genuine. And he said, the, uh, teacher, no one can do the things that you do unless God is with him. And, and Jesus gave a completely different response. If you uh, look at the answer that Jesus gave, he said, uh, unless you will, most assuredly I say to you, unless you be born again, you cannot have eternal life. And, uh, and then he said, what do you mean be born again? Can I go to my mom's womb and be born again? I'm an old man. How can that be possible? And Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And then he began to basically introduce the concept of being born again. Because every human being who is not a believer in Christ is dead spiritually. Even if you grew up in a Christian family, because we all must accept Christ in our lives and our hearts personally. And if you don't, if you don't personally accept Christ in your heart, you're not born again. And once we do that, the spirit of God revives our spirit and we become one with God. And that's the concept of born again. And um, uh, so Jesus said, if you, you know, uh, if you believe, you will be saved. Uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, he says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Uh, so this is a simple gospel that Christ died for our sins. He's God who came to the flesh. He died for our sins on the cross and he rose from the dead. And if you believe in him as your Lord and Savior, you will be saved. So my message to the Muslim uh, people who are watching or uh, atheists or anybody from any walk of life who is watching this episode, my message to you, if you're really hungry and genuine, God will show you the truth. God will open your eyes and he will help you to believe. And, uh, but if we are proud and we are arrogant, we're trying to reject God and we think we know more than everything and more than everybody, that's when we don't get an answer. Even if God himself show up in our room, we still won't believe him. But if you're really genuine and, and humble, and we are just like when I cried out to God, I, was, I had hit the rock bottom. I was at the end of myself. And that's when I really found God. And the Bible says, if we seek him with all of our heart, we'll find him. And that's my message to you. So lay aside everything that the mullahs and the sheikhs and the imams have told you. And uh, because, you know, the, the Bible says that the enemy, Satan, is a liar and the father of all lies. So everything regarding to that Bible is changed and it's not God's word and it's distorted. Uh, lay them all aside and ask God for yourself. God, who are you? I want to know you. If, if what Ramin says is true, I want to know that. Show me. And if you genuinely do that, I promise you, God, in one way or another, he will reveal himself to you. And, um, and that's the, because it's not that you have to accept what I say or you have to accept what the mullahs or the imams or sheikhs say. Just reach out to God say, God, I know you made me. You made this world and everything in it. Reveal yourself to me. If Christ is your son, if Jesus died for me on the cross and rose from the dead, I want to know that. Show me. And I promise you, God will, uh, will impact your heart and he will put more people on your path. He will give you signs until you believe. Do you, I, I think that's a, some great advice. I'm just, I want, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I'm wondering if you have five more minutes uh, Pastor Rumi, to talk Take to us. Yeah, All right. I, I know that you have a very unique perspective on the issue of persecution as a Christian and that you yourself have undergone some difficulties. Um, 
you mentioned briefly that you even had some difficulties before you were a Christian um, when you were still in Iran because of Sharia. Um, But but now you've also experienced religious challenges as a Christian here in America. And I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about what you've been going through. Uh, Yes. Well, thank you. Uh, yes, since I became a believer, I really didn't have much persecution from my family because uh, my family, in fact, my mother got healed after I became a Christian and I prayed for my mother. She got healed physically and she was the first convert in my family. And then my, my siblings and uh, most of my siblings gave their heart to Jesus. And, uh, and um, so the, uh, but then uh, I was in a, another country in the Middle East. And when I was there, I was persecuted for my faith. I was fired out of jobs. I was arrested multiple times. Uh, for evangelizing, for telling people about Jesus. And based upon the Islamic Sharia law, based upon the uh, teachings of Islam, if somebody abandons Islam and, and believes in any other faith, basically um, the, the result for that is death. The Islam prescribes death for the people who abandon Islam. The, the, the punishment for apostasy is death. And then not only that, the Quran allows uh, basically the Muslims or commands Muslims to persecute the Christians and Jews. Surah 9, verse 29 in the Quran says, Muhammad says, In Arabic, it says, Kill all who don't believe in Allah and in what in his messenger and what Allah and his messenger have made unlawful. Even if they are the people of the book, Jews and Christians, unless they pay jaziyah. Uh, so basically, the Quran is full of those verses that is talking about fighting the infidels and un- unbelievers and people who reject Allah and Islam that you have to fight with them and do jihad and in order to establish uh, Islam all over the world. So, uh, and, and I was recently actually in America. I was in, uh, the, um, I was in uh, uh, Minnesota. I was speaking at a church after the church went to this mall. And um, I was, uh, we just went to see the mall. We really didn't have any plan to go evangelize. Uh, the, my host wanted to show me uh, the city a little bit and went to this biggest mall in North America. And as we were there, we ran to some Somali Muslims. A lot of Somalis live in Minnesota. And uh, so we just ran to some of them. We had a casual conversation. Hello, how are you? Where are you from? They asked me the same thing and I told them. And, uh, and they say, oh, are you Muslim? Very exciting. Uh, they said, are you Muslim? I said, well, I used to be. I'm a Christian now. And then shockingly, they said, why? Why did you change? And I was giving my testimony, exact same thing that I just told you guys. And, um, and then... Another Muslim lady who was not a part of the conversation, she was listening to us. And she went and told the guard. And the guard, I don't know what she, she told the guard, but when the guard came, uh, the guard said, hey, guys, you cannot talk religion here. You cannot talk, you know, you cannot uh, solicit here. And we said, no, no, we're not soliciting. Even those two ladies began to argue with that lady uh, that you want to know why he changed. Uh, and then they start arguing. So we just walked away. We, were, we had to go. We didn't have much time. And we went to a coffee shop. We got some coffee. And when I came out, three guards were waiting for me. Uh, and they asked me, to, they, they asked me to leave right now. And I said, why? Uh, they said, because you're soliciting. And I said, no, no, I'm not. I'm a guest here. I'm speaking at a church. I'm just visiting. And I just came to see the mall. And that's when they uh, basically handcuffed me. And uh, they, uh, they grabbed my coffee. They handcuffed me. They took me to a basement. And I was basically chained or handcuffed to this chair, a metal chair, for hours. And, um, and uh, they refused to give me water and let me use restroom. So I was there for, and I was shocked that such a thing could happen in America. A Christian nation, this country was found by Christians. And uh, so I was sitting there in shock, but I felt again a peace 
a very um, uh, amazing and very um, uh, a peace that was surpassing my understanding. I was sitting there, and this bubble of peace came all around me. And I heard these wo- these words in my my heart, not not in my mind, but not in my ears, but in my heart. I am coming back soon. And I heard these striking words, and I just was comforted, and I felt this peace. And at that moment, I realized that really, we don't belong to this world. We don't belong to this world. And sooner or later, we're going to go be with Jesus, or he's going to come and and, uh, establish his kingdom um, completely. So he's coming back soon. Either uh, if before our time or after our time comes, we're going to go see him in heaven. Uh, But if before that he comes, we're going to see him coming on the clouds of heaven. And he's going to come as a, as a reigning king. The first time he came, he came as a, uh, as a lamb who took away the sin of the world. The second time, when he comes, he comes as a king to rule and to judge. So uh, now I know because Jesus said, if the world hates you, remember that, they, that it hated me first. And because you believe in me, uh, they hate you. And, and then uh, in First John, the Bible says, you know, you're not of the world. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. So the Bible has given us many, many uh, scriptures that we're going to be persecuted for our faith. But we stand for truth and we speak the truth in love. We love Muslim people. We tell them about Jesus that, and that there is salvation and hope for them in Christ if they come to him. Amen. Thank you so much for your time. Um, we do want to wrap it up. We don't want to hold you too long. But I'm just wondering, is there anything you would like to share about your ministry, where you're based? Um, how people can connect with you if they, if they have more questions? Sure. Um, yes. Uh, my ministry has been uh, about reaching out to Muslims in past uh, past 13 years. We have been reaching out to Muslims. Uh, we have an uh, uh, online church we do every Monday morning. We reach out to the uh, former Muslims who uh, have become Christians all around the world. And they come online every uh, Monday morning. Uh, and they come from Europe, from Canada, from Iran, Turkey, um, from all over the world, these Iranians who have become Christians, and they come online and we teach them. I've been doing that for seven years. And then we, we give Bibles, we send Bibles to the Muslim countries because in many Muslim countries, Bible is illegal. So we supply uh, uh, basically Muslims with a Bible. We want them to read the Bible. We want them to read it for themselves. I always tell Muslims, you know, read the Quran and read the Bible and let your conscience be your judge. Not your Imam, not your Mullah. Uh, let your conscience judge which one is the truth. You know, when you read the, the first few pages of the, of the Bible, in the New Testament, the Gospels, when you read the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus said, uh, because when I read the Gospel for the first time, I was weeping, I was crying. And I said, why this book should be illegal? Because when I read the first few pages of the New Testament, the, of the Gospel of Matthew, and I saw that Jesus said that love your enemies and pray for those who hate you and spitefully use you. And in compared to what I was taught as a Muslim, you know, every morning in the school, we were taught, we were forced to curse America and Israel. That's how we started school. Every morning, they told us that, you know, these Jewish people, you know, they're enemies of Allah and so forth. But then the contrast, and the Quran also, Muhammad curses the Jews and Christians. In Surah 9, um, in verse 28 and all the way to verse 30, Muhammad says that uh, the Jews believe that Ezra was the son of God. And, and Christians believe that Christ is the son of God. And, he, and Muhammad said this is a saying from their mouth, Allah's curse be upon them. So we used to curse uh, Jews and Christians every morning, Americans and Israelis every morning. But then we read the gospel and he saw the love of Christ, that he's saying that love your enemies and pray for those who hate you and spitefully use you. 
And I saw the contrast was so vast when I saw uh, the, the words of Jesus, so simple, but so profound and so peaceful. And the things that Christ did. And the, the entire gospel is the message of a victory of love over hatred, victory of life over death. Um, and it's all about restoration and healing. And, and there's hope for you in God. And I was weeping and crying when I read the, the New Testament. And that's when I made, it, uh, made a promise to take this gospel to the whole world. In fact, I, I made a promise to the Lord that I'm going to serve you the rest of my life. And, but then I began to you know, um, spread the gospel. So we reach out to Muslims. We take mission trips to many different countries. And we send Bibles. And, um, and people can get in touch with us through our website, raminparsa.org. Uh, my, my email is uh, ramin at raminparsa.org. Uh, that's my email. If anybody wants to get in contact with us, um, you can do it through our website. And uh, we also have a YouTube channel where we do uh, teachings. Uh, we have a lot of uh, English and Farsi teachings, Persian teachings that people can use and, uh, on different topics So we talk about. Very good. Uh, our friend Juwa just texted in. He had a follow-up question to something you said. So if you have time, I'd love to have you respond sure. to that. Okay. Sure. Uh, Juad says, according to the Quran, the fight commandments, I'm assuming he means like what you were talking about earlier with the jihad, making jihad against others are meant for defensive purpose, purposes, not offensive ones. And then Juad is just affirming again that he's asking this with infinite respect and love. So he's, he's just really wanting to know. Um, well, that's what the well, that's what the Muslims say many times the mullahs, but that's not, not that's not really what the Quran teaches. See, uh, when if you look at the life of Muhammad, when Muhammad was in Mecca, he said many good things, but that's when he didn't have much power. So, for example, he said there's no compulsion in religion, and uh, and he said Jews and Christians are the people of the book; they have books, so and they are good. So he said many good and peaceful things, but then when he uh, when he moved to Medina. And then he started gathering an army and then he started robbing caravans. Then he changed. So the same person who said uh, there's no compulsion in religion, in Surah 9, verse 29, it says, kill all who don't believe in Allah. It doesn't say if people attack you or fight with you. It says, kill all who don't believe in Allah. Uh, and uh, and uh, you can just right now open the Quran and see it. Now, in English translation, they translate that word kill to fight. But it still says, you know, kill those who don't believe in Allah and his messenger and what Allah and his messenger have made unlawful. Kill them unless they pay jazia uh, with submission and humility. So that's exactly what ISIS was telling the people in Iraq and Syria. They would go to the, uh, the Christian homes and uh, basically would tell them, uh, before they, they, they occupy a city or conquer a city, they would send some people to mark the Christian homes with the word N in Arabic, which is like a half circle with a dot. And that means that the word Nazarene or Nasri, which means Christian in Arabic, and um, uh, which it comes from the word Nazarene. Uh, so they would mark those, those homes with the word N. And then when the ISIS troops came in, they would go to those houses and they would force Christians either to become, they would give them uh, three options, either become Muslims or they pay jazia, the blood money, or be killed. And they, uh, most often they would pay jazia and um, to, to remain alive. And that's exactly what Quran teaches, Surah 929. You can look it up right now. So this idea of, uh, if you look at the Quran and the Hadith, the things that Muhammad said, uh, none of them, because Muhammad spoke in a position of power. He was really never oppressed. Nobody attacked Muslims. Imagine Saudi Arabia was a place where 
a woman like Khadija, Muhammad's first wife, which was a businesswoman. So in Saudi Arabia, a woman could be a businesswoman uh, during, you know, before Muhammad basically came to power. But now women cannot even drive, cannot even vote. They have zero right in Saudi Arabia or in many Muslim countries. So we see that when Muhammad was in Saudi Arabia, he was free. Nobody was uh, objecting. People rejected him and his message, but nobody oppressed him. Because Saudi Arabia was a place like, imagine, like in America, like Los Angeles, like New York. You could be whatever you wanted. You could be worshiping idols, or you could be um, a Jew, or a Christian, or an atheist, or agnostic, uh, Epicurean, or whatever belief that you wanted to adhere to. Because that was how Saudi Arabia was at that time. Basically, all over the world, like Jerusalem, people would take merchandise from Jerusalem, go to Medina, to Mecca, go to Iran, and then travel all the world. But people had their own beliefs. But then when Muhammad came, he said, no, you must only worship Allah. And that's when they got a conflict. And then eventually Muhammad uh, basically had these guerrilla wars and began to attack caravans who were coming out of Mecca, robbed the caravans, and then eventually became more powerful to the point that he conquered the entire Arabian Peninsula. So it wasn't that he was defending himself against oppression and people want to kill them. There was no such a thing. Uh, of course, they, you know, some, some Muslim scholars wanna, want us to believe that, but that's not the truth. That's not, if you read the Quran, from the text of the Quran, you can see that. That doesn't say that people who attack you. Most of the violent verses is talking about people who don't believe what Allah says or don't do what Allah requires. And most of the verse, violent verses talking about people and that don't do what Allah has commanded. And it's not about oppression or war or fight. Well, thank you. And I am just so thankful again that you set aside the time to be with us tonight. I'm glad it worked out. We've been trying to get uh, Pastor Ramin on for a while, and it, he's very, very busy traveling and uh, working for the Lord and just kind of worked out at the last minute to have him on tonight. So we're very grateful. Once again, I want to let everyone know you can connect with him at RaminParsa.org, and I would commend to you his book, uh, From Ashes to Glory. And thank you so much, Ramin, for, for being you. on with us today. My pleasure. My honor. Thank you for having oh, me. Oh, it's our honor. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. Yes. God bless you. Thank you. All right. God bless you. Wow, it's hard to believe that that show was almost at the very beginning of our journey together. You can see how much we've grown as interviewers and the, the, how much the show has grown. Our set has changed. But we really hope you enjoyed this discussion with Pastor Parsa and that it will encourage you and edify you to, to be bold in your witness, to share the gospel. Maybe someone who's going to cross your path this holiday season, we really hope that it will help you. And I would love for you to also check out a great conversation we had with our friend Laura Powell at the end of last season. Um, I think it was maybe in like October, November of 2021, about how to share your faith with Muslims. She also had some wonderful wisdom, and it's a great follow-up to this discussion. Anyways, I hope that you and your family are staying safe and healthy, and we will see you again very soon. Good night and God bless. Thanks for listening to All The Things. Be sure to subscribe to our website at allthethingsshow.com and find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you stream your podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button 
and the bell so you'll receive alerts when we post new shows. We'll see you next week.